Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. She pressed through the throng until she could almost reach out and touch this mysterious prophet. She smelled the desert on him, a mixture of spice and flint. Both the preacher and his young guide were dusty, as though they'd recently come from the bled. She could see where the preacher's hands were deeply veined along the skin protruding from the wrist seals of a steel suit. She could see that one finger of his left hand had worn a ring. The indentation remained. Paul had worn a ring on that finger. Atreides' hawk, which now reposed in siege to Burr. Leto would have worn it when he lived. Or had she permitted him to ascend the throne? Again, the preacher aimed his empty eye sockets at Alia, spoke intimately, but with a voice which carried across the throng. Maudib showed you two things, a certain future and an uncertain future. With full awareness, he confronted the ultimate uncertainty of the larger universe. He stepped off blindly from his position on this world. He showed us that men must do this always, choosing the uncertain instead of the certain. His voice, Alia noted, took on a pleading tone at the end of this statement. Alia glanced around, slipped a hand onto the hilt of her Chris knife. If I killed him right now, what would they do? Again, she felt a thrill rush through her. If I killed him and revealed myself, denouncing the preacher as imposter and heretic. But what if they proved it was Paul? Someone pushed Alia even closer to him. She felt herself enthralled by his presence, even as she fought to still her anger. Was this Paul? God's below. What could she do? Why has another Leto been taken from us? The preacher demanded. There was real pain in his voice. Answer me if you can. Ah, oh, their message is clear. Abandon certainty. He repeated it in a rolling stentorian shout. Abandon certainty. That's life's deepest command. That's what life's about. We are a probe into the unknown, into the uncertain. Why can't you hear Maudib? If certainty is knowing absolutely an absolute future, then that's only death disguised. Such a future becomes now. He showed you this. With a terrifying directness, the preacher reached out, grabbed Alia's arm, it was done without any groping or hesitation. She tried to pull away, but he held her in a painful grip, speaking directly into her face as those around them edged back in confusion. 
What did Paul Atreides tell you, woman? He demanded. How does he know that I'm a woman? She asked herself. She wanted to sink into her inner lives, ask their protection, but the world within remained frighteningly silent, mesmerized by this figure from their past. He told you that completion equals death. The preacher shouted. Absolute prediction is completion, is death. She tried to pry his fingers away. She wanted to grab her knife and slash him away from her, but dared not. She'd never felt this daunted in all of her life. The preacher lifted his chin to speak over her to the crowd, shouted, I give you Maudib's words, he said. I'm going to rub your faces in things you try to avoid. I don't find it strange that all you want to believe is only that which comforts you. How else do humans invent the traps which betray us into mediocrity? How else do we define cowardice? That's what Maudib told you. Abruptly, he released Alia's arm thrust her into the crowd. She would have fallen, but for the press of people supporting her. To exist is to stand out, away from the background, the preacher said. You aren't thinking or really existing unless you're willing to risk even your own sanity in the judgment of your existence. Stepping down, the preacher once more took Alia's arm, no faltering or hesitation. He was gentler this time, though. Leaning close, he pitched his voice for her ears alone, said, Stop trying to pull me once more into the background, sister. Then, hand on his young guide's shoulder, he stepped into the throng. Way was made for the strange pair. Hands reached out to touch the preacher, but people reached with an awesome tenderness, fearful of what they might find beneath the dusty Fremen robe. Alia stood alone in her shock as the throng moved out behind the preacher. Certainty filled her. It was Paul. No doubt remained. It was her brother. She felt what the crowd felt. She had stood in the sacred presence, and now her universe tumbled all about her. She wanted to run after him, pleading for him to save her from herself, but she could not move. While others pressed to follow the preacher and his guide, she stood intoxicated with an absolute despair, a distress so deep but she could only tremble with it, unable to command her own muscles. What will I do? What will I do? She asked herself. Now, she did not even have Duncan to lean upon, nor her mother. The inner lives remained silent. There was Ganima, held securely under guard within the keep. But Alia could not herself to take this distress to the surviving twin. 
Everyone is turned against me. What can I do? The one-eyed view of our universe says you must not look far afield for problems. Such problems may never arrive. Instead, tend to the wolves within your fences. Packs ranging outside may not even exist. The Azhar Book, Shamra, 1-4. Jessica awaited Idaho at the window of her sitting room. It was a comfortable room with soft divans and old-fashioned chairs. There wasn't a suspenser in any of her rooms, and the glow globes were crystal from another age. Her window overlooked a courtyard one story down. She heard the servant open the door, then the sound of Idaho's footsteps on the wood floor, then on the carpet. She listened without turning, kept her gaze upon the dappled light of the courtyard's green floor. The silent, fearful warfare of her emotions must be suppressed now. She took the deep breaths of her prana bindu training, felt the outflow of enforced calmness. The high sun threw its searchlight along a dust beam into the courtyard, highlighting the silver wheel of a spider web stretched in the branches of a linden tree, which reached almost to her window. It was cool within her quarters. But outside the sealed window, there was air which trembled with petrified heat. Castle Carino sat in a stagnant place which bellied the greens in her courtyard. She heard Idaho stop directly behind her. Without turning, she said, The gift of words is the gift of deception and illusion, Duncan. Why do you wish words with me? It may be that only one of us will survive, he said. And you wish me to make a good report of your efforts? She turned, saw how calmly he stood there watching her with those gray metal eyes which held no center of focus. How blank they were. Duncan, is it possible that you're jealous of your place in history? She spoke accusingly, remembered as she spoke that other time when she'd confronted this man. He'd been drunk then, set to spy upon her, and was torn by conflicting obligations. But that had been a pre-Gula Duncan. This was not the same man at all. This one was not divided in his actions, not torn. He proved her summation by smiling, History holds its own court and delivers its own judgments, he said. I doubt that I'll be concerned when my judgments hand it down. Why are you here? she asked. For the same reason you're here, my lady. No outward sign betrayed the shocking power of those simple words, but she reflected at a furious pace. Does he really know why I'm here? How could he? Only Ganima knew. Then he had enough data for a Minta computation. That was possible. 
And what if he said something to give her away? Would he do that if he shared a reason for being here? He must know there every moment. Every word was being spied upon by Faradin or his servants. House Atreides has come to a bitter crossroads, she said. Family turned against itself. You were among my duke's most loyal men, Duncan. When the Baron Harkonnen... Let us not speak of Harkonnens, he said. That was another age and your duke is dead. And he wondered. Can't she guess that Paul revealed the Harkonnen blood in the Atreides? What a risk that had been for Paul, but it had bound Duncan Idaho even more firmly to him. The trust and the revelation had been a coin almost too great to imagine. Paul had known what the Baron's people had done to Idaho. House Atreides is not dead, Jessica said. What is House Atreides? he asked. Are you House Atreides? Is it Alia? Ganema? Is it the people who serve this house? I look at those people and they bear the stamp of a travail beyond words. How can they be Atreides? Your son said it rightly. Travail and persecution are the lot of all who follow me. I would break myself away from that, my lady. Have you really gone over to Faradin? Isn't that what you've done, my lady? Didn't you come here to convince Faradin that a marriage to Ganema would solve all of our problems? Does he really think that? She wondered. Or is he talking for the watchful spies? House Atreides has always been essentially an idea. She said, You know that, Duncan. We bought loyalty with loyalty. Service to the people. Ido sneered. Ah, many's the time I've heard your duke say it. He must lie uneasy in his grave, my lady. Do you really think us fallen that low? My lady, did you not know that there are Fremen rebels? They call themselves Marquis of the Inner Desert, who cursed House Atreides and even Maudib. I heard Faradin's report, she said, wondering where he was leading this conversation and to what point. More than that, my lady, more than Faradin's report, I've heard their curse myself. Here's the way of it. Burning beyond you, Atreides. You shall have no souls, nor spirits, nor bodies, nor shades, nor magic, nor bones, nor hair, nor utterances, nor words. You shall have no grave, nor house, nor hole, nor tomb. You shall have no garden, nor tree, nor bush. You shall have no water, nor bread, nor light, nor fire. You shall have no children, nor family, nor heirs, nor tribe. You shall have no head, nor arms, nor legs, nor gait, nor seed. You shall have no seats on any planet. Your souls shall not be permitted to come up from the depths. They shall never be among those permitted to live upon the earth. 
On no day shall you behold Shihalud, but you shall be bound and fettered in the nethermost abomination, and your souls shall never enter into the glorious light forever and ever. That's the way of the curse, my lady. Can you imagine such hatred from Fremen? They consign all the Atreides to the left hand of the damned, to the woman's son, which is full of burning. Jessica allowed herself a shudder. Idaho, undoubtedly, had delivered those words with the same voice in which he'd heard the original curse. Why did he expose this to House Carino? She could picture an outraged Fremen, terrible in his anger, standing before his tribe to vent that ancient curse. Why did Idaho want Faradin to hear it? You make a strong argument for the marriage of Ganema and Faradin, she said. You always did have a single-minded approach to problems, he said. Ganema's Fremen. She can marry only one who pays no fay, no tax for protection. House Carino gave up its entire chome holdings to your son and his heirs. Faradin exists on Atreides' sufferance. Remember when your duke planted the hawk flag on Arrakis. Remember what he said? Here I am. Here I remain. His bones are still there, and Faradin would have to live on Arrakis. His Sadakar with him. Ido shook his head at the very thought of such an alliance. There's an odd saying that one heals a problem like an onion, she said, her voice cold. How dare he patronize me, unless he's performing for Faradin's watchful eyes. Somehow, I can't see Fremen and Sadakar sharing a planet, Ido said. That's a layer which doesn't come off the onion. She didn't like the thoughts which Idaho's words might arouse in Faradin, his advisor spoke sharply. House Atreides is still the law in this empire. And she thought, Does Idaho want Faradin to believe he can regain the throne without the Atreides? Oh yes, Idaho said. I almost forgot Atreides' law, as translated, of course, by the priests of the Golden Elixir. I have to close my eyes, and I hear your duke telling me, Real estate is always gained and held by violence or the threat of it. Fortune passes everywhere, as Gurney used to sing it. The end justifies the means. Or do I have my proverbs mixed up? Well, it doesn't matter whether the mailed fist is brandished openly by Fremen legions of Sadakar, or whether it's hidden in the Atreides' law. The fist is still there. The onion layer won't come off, my lady. You know. I wonder which fist Faradin will demand. What is he doing? Jessica wondered. How Screno would soak up this argument and gloat over it. 
So you think the priests wouldn't let Ganima marry Faradin? Jessica ventured, probing to see where Idaho's words might be leading. Let her. God's below. The priests will let Alia do whatever she decrees. She could marry Faradin herself. Is that where he's fishing? Jessica wondered. No, my lady. Ido said, that's not the issue. This empire's people cannot distinguish between Atreides' government and the government of Beast Raban. Men die every day in racking dungeons. I left because I could not give my sword arm another hour to the Atreides. Don't you understand what I'm saying? Why I came here to you as the nearest Atreides representative. The Atreides Empire has betrayed your duke and your son. I loved your daughter, but she went one way and I went another. If it comes down to it, I'll advise Faradin to accept Ganima's hand, or Alia's, only on his own terms. Ah. Oh. He sets the stage for a formal withdrawal with honor from Atreides' service, she thought. But these other matters of which he spoke, could he possibly know how well they did her work for her? She scowled at him. You know spies are listening to every word, don't you? Spies? He chuckled. They listen as I would listen in their place. Don't you know how my loyalties move in a different way? Many's the night I've spent alone in the desert, and the Fremen are right about that place in the desert, especially at night. You encounter the dangers of hard thinking. Is that where you heard Fremen curse us? Yes, among the Al-Uruba. At the preacher's bidding, I joined them, my lady. We call ourselves the Tsar Sadas. Those who refuse to submit to the priests. I am here to make formal announcement to an Atreides that I've removed myself to enemy territory. Jessica studied him, looking for betrayals of minutia, but Idaho gave no indication that he spoke falsely or with hidden plans. Was it really possible that he'd gone over to Faradin? She was reminded of her sisterhood's maxim. In human affairs, nothing remains enduring. All human affairs revolve in a helix, moving around and out. If Idaho had really left the Atreides' fold, that would explain his present behavior. He was moving around and out. She had to consider this a possibility. But why? he emphasized that he did the preacher's bidding. Jessica's mind raced and, having considered alternatives, she realized she might have to kill Idaho. The plan upon which she had staked her hopes remained so delicate that nothing could be allowed to interfere with it. Nothing. And Idaho's words hinted that he knew her plan. She gauged their relative positions in the room, moving and turning to place herself in position for a lethal blow. I've always considered the normalizing effect of the frock to be a pillar of our strength, she said, 
let him wonder why she shifted their conversation to the system of class distinction. The Landsrod Council of the Great Houses, the regional Sisselrods, all deserve our... You do not distract me, he said, and Idaho wondered at how transparent her actions had become. Was it that she had grown lax in concealment? Or had he finally breached the walls of her being a just for training? The latter, he decided. But some of it was in herself, but changing as she aged. It saddened him to see the small ways the new Fremen differed from the old. Passing of the desert was the passing of something precious to humans, and he could not describe this thing. No more than he could describe what had happened to the Lady Jessica. Jessica stared at Idaho in open astonishment, not trying to conceal her reaction. Could he read her that easily? You will not slay me, he said. Use the Fremen words of warning. Don't throw your blood upon my knife. And he thought, I've become very much the Fremen. It gave him a wry sense of continuity to realize how deeply he had accepted the ways of the planet which had harbored his second life. I think you'd better leave, she said. Not until you accept my withdrawal from Atreides' service. Accepted. She bit it off, and only after she uttered the word did she realize how much pure reflex had gone into this exchange. She needed time to think and reconsider. How had Idaho known what she would do? She did not believe him capable of leaping time in the spice way. Idaho backed away from her until he felt the door behind him, he bowed. Once more I call you my lady, and then never again. My advice to Faradin will be to send you back to Wallach, quietly and quickly. The earliest practical moment, you are too dangerous a toy to keep around. Although I don't believe he thinks of you as a toy. You are working for the Sisterhood, not for the Atreides. I wonder now, if you ever worked for the Atreides, you witches move too deeply and darkly for mere mortals ever to trust. Agula considers himself a mere mortal, she gibbed. Compared to you, he said. Leave, she ordered. Such is my intention. He slipped out the door, passing the curious stare of the servant, who'd obviously been listening. It's done, he thought, and they can read it in only one way. Only in the realm of mathematics can you understand Madib's precise view of the future. Thus, first we postulate any number point dimensions in space. This is the classic infold extended aggregate of n dimensions. With this framework, time as commonly understood becomes an aggregate of one-dimensional properties. 
Applying this to the Maldive phenomenon, we find that we either are confronted by new properties of time, or by reduction through the infinity calculus. We are dealing with separate systems which contain in-body properties. For Maldib, we assume the latter, as demonstrated by the reduction. The point dimensions of the infold can only have separate existence within different frameworks of time. Separate dimensions of time are thus demonstrated to coexist. This being the inescapable cause, Maldib's predictions required that he perceived the infold not as extended aggregate, but as an operation within a single framework. In effect, he froze his universe into that one framework, which was his view of time. Palimbasha, Lectures at Sichtabur Leto lay at the crest of a dune, peering across open sand and a sinuous rock outcropping. The rock lay like an immense worm atop the sand, flat and threatening in the morning sunlight. Nothing stirred there. No bird circled overhead. No animal scampered among the rocks. He would see the slots of a wind trap almost at the center of the worm's back. There would be water here. The rock worm held the familiar appearance of a siege shelter, except for the absence of living things. He lay quietly, blending his sand, watching. One of Gurney Halleck's tunes kept flowing through his mind, monotonously persistent. listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.